We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, February the 4th, 2021. On today's show, the dysfunctional, inconsistent, laugh-out-loud relationship with Gamecocks basketball continues. I'm breaking down South Carolina 72 to 66 win over the Florida Gators. The Gamecocks go on the road to Gainesville and shock the 22nd ranked Florida Gators. Guys, I'll give my full thoughts, break down everything. Also, we have a full recap of National Signing Day. Everything that happened, Shane Beamer's comments, some pickups on National Signing Day, going over the class, my thoughts on it as Gamecock football moves forward in the Shane Beamer era. Also, South Carolina has a running backs coach now. Montario Hardesty getting the job. I'll talk about that. Also, news and notes to get into, including Gamecock Baseball, Will Muschamp, believe it or not. Uh, we've got your listener questions also, and fantastic interview, fantastic conversation. Former Gamecocks baseball coach Chad Holbrook joins the show. A massive interview for the show. Obviously, he's now the head baseball coach at College of Charleston, was a part of those teams that won back-to-back national titles in 2010 and 2011, and of course, served as the head coach from 2013 to 2017. Guys, a must-listen interview for any Gamecock fan, especially if you're a Gamecocks baseball fan. Guys, we got a packed show here on a Thursday. Sit back, relax, enjoy. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention to the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company, by the way. They are a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is just invested in the success of the project as you are. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni, guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether you're in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in the year 2021, be sure to check on my friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media, of course, at Upstate Movers Group. And if you have any further questions, want to learn more about them, check them out on their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That is upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
guys, I need you to listen up to me very, very, very closely. I don't ask you guys for much, right? I, I, I don't ask you all for much. You, you simply tuning in, supporting the business, supporting the content, supporting the show. That's enough for me. But I have one favor, one favor of everyone that is hearing the sound of my voice right now. And that one favor is this. If I ever pick this Gamecocks basketball team to win again, at least for the rest of this season, if I pick them to win again, if I post a graphic, if I post a show where I am picking South Carolina to win a basketball game in the year of our Lord, 2021, if I pick South Carolina to win another basketball game, here's what I need you guys to do. I need you guys to punch me in the face. Just punch me directly in the face. I will shoot me a DM. I'll give you my address. Come to my address. I'll meet you up somewhere. We'll meet by old Willie B. We'll, we'll meet outside the CLA. Punch me in the face as hard as you can. And with that, folks, welcome to the show. Happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up show as always. Got a lot to get into. Let's go ahead and dive, in, dive right into it. Like I said, by the sound of my voice and what I'm saying, things went very well last night. Surprisingly, very well. Guys, I, I'm giddy. I, I'm baffled. I'm shocked. I'm stunned. I'm ecstatic. I'm happy. I'm a mix of emotions. And like I said in the intro, this dysfunctional, inconsistent, toxic relationship with Gamecock basketball continues for us all. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Uh, let, let's just go and get that. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Because every, th this team from game, literally, I've never seen something like it. From game to game to game to game. It is a different team. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. And again, every time I make a pick for South Carolina basketball, the opposite happens. So that's why I said, if I pick us to win again, punch me in the face. Because every time, and I mean every time, I pick us to lose, we win. Every single time. Every single time. Fade my picks for the rest of eternity, folks. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my gosh. And I'm glad I want to be wrong in that scenario. But my God, my God, I, I just, I'm clueless when it comes to this basketball team. What a win. What a win for Frank Martin's squad going on the road amidst all the adversity. And, and it's so funny, guys. Like I said, here we are yet again. Because it feels like the entire fan base is like this. One game, we're already, oh, we're going to move on from the Frank Martin era. It's about to end, blah, blah, blah. The next game, oh, my God, look at this, this team. Yeah, And it's just like, like that. it's a, it's a never-ending cycle. It's a never-ending cycle. I, I want to jump out ahead of this real quick, by the way, because I'm sure there's some of you tuned in. Chris, I thought it was fire Frank Martin. What about fire? First off, please, everyone that says that, please go back and pull up the piece of content. And there's plenty of it out there. Everything I've said is well-documented, guys. Go out and find the piece of content where I said, fire Frank Martin. Go find it. Send it to me. If I am wrong, I don't know what I'll do. I'll Venmo you $100. If you can find that piece of content for me, I'll Venmo you a hundred bucks. How about that? Now, did we run a piece on Tuesday that my writer, Josh Matthews, like I explained on the Daily Crow, I believe yesterday, 
did we run a piece that my writer Josh Matthews submitted in regards to potential head coaching candidates for when that time comes that Frank Martin is replaced? Yes, we did. But like I told you guys, we have contributors within the Spurs Up show. I'm not the only one doing it. I have writers that submit pieces. I love giving those guys opportunities, my contributors opportunities to voice their opinion, to let their opinions be heard because, you know, I think people deserve, you know, it deserve opportunities to, to contribute for me and provide value for the business and provide value for the website and through written content. And so Josh put out the piece. But again, most people, when they respond, they think that I have said it or that the Spurs Up show as a whole entity has said it. No, no. I don't even think Josh really said it. Yes, we put out the piece because I would still say to you guys, hey, you're as good as your last ball game. You beat the Florida Gators. Awesome. Now what do you do Saturday against Mississippi State? And we're going to get into that in just a second because I want to talk about this Florida game specifically. But I'm just making the point. You're as good as your last ball game. You beat the Florida Gators. I'm ecstatic. We're all happy. Can you make it back-to-back-to-back? We saw that with Muschamp. That was his problem. He couldn't put it back-to-back. He could not build off of wins. And I would still say, honestly, my personal opinion, that I would still be pretty surprised if Frank Martin's the head coach here in three years. So, you know, I still think we're on the back end of the Martin era, whatever. But I just want to get ahead of it because I know there's going to be some people that are expecting me to apologize or something. Like I said, fire Frank Martin when I haven't. I've Guys, I have more gone out of my way to say, hey, I'm not saying fire Frank Martin. I am not going to say fire Frank Martin. I am not going to be the one leading that train. I would not pull the trigger during this COVID season. I would not fire him this season. I have said that over and over, and I can't say it any more than I have, guys. I can't say it any more than I have. So, again, I just want to get that out there. Now, let's talk about this actual game. I mean, what a performance. What a performance. Tip of the cap. Tip of the cap to Frank Martin, that entire squad. So many guys stepped up tonight. And this really felt like one of those true, classic, traditional Frank Martin games. Again, 72-66. to The game went well under the total, the betting total, in case you guys are wondering. I think the total was like 154. I mean, heck, I picked Florida to score 91 points. You hold them to 66. First things first, a golf clap, applause, seventh woods. I, I'm, I said it post game. I'm not even convinced that was seven woods out there. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable, unbelievable stuff from seventh woods. 26 minutes, 12 points, went six of 10 for the field. And guys, all 12 points in the second half. And this dude's shots, the, these shots he made were like ridiculous. A lot of them were absurd. Guy in his face fading away. No business to make the shot. And he finds a way to do it anyways. Seventh Woods, kudos to him. A.J. Lawson did A.J. Lawson things with 22 points on the night. Jermaine Kuznar, I thought, played a little better. Only nine points, but did play better, I thought. Wildens, Devec, and McCreary inside, I thought, were huge. Both had really big plays. 11 combined rebounds between those two guys. How about A.J. Lawson, by the way, with eight rebounds? Keyshawn Bryant ho-hum with eight points, but had two blocks, seven rebounds his own right, five defensive rebounds, and and just made a huge impact throughout the game. And you shot 45% as a team, 21% from three. Not very good, four of 19. But let's go to the Florida side. I talked about them a lot, averaging 48% from the field, 38% from three. Well, from the field, they shot 40% and shot 28%. From the three-point range. 
again, this was the classic Frank Martin, tough defense. You don't want to play us. We're hard-nosed. We're going to make you uncomfortable. We're going to get in your face. That's the type of game that it was. That is the type of game that it was. I mean, I don't know what more I can really say. I mean, just just by far the best performance of the season, in my opinion. When you factor in the opponent, the venue, the the turmoil, you're, the adversity you're facing. But I but I will say this. Okay, can can we all come to agreement? Come to an agreement with this, right? Can we come to an agreement with this? We have now reached the point in the season where we are beyond saying COVID, like using COVID as an excuse. I'll just go ahead and say it. Because we did not, South Carolina did not win this game last night because of COVID. They won this game because they showed up and outplayed the Florida Gators. Bottom line. Give credit where credit's due. So I just want to get that out there. Because if you go lose Saturday to Mississippi State, which is, is very realistic with the way this team has been so up and down. If you go lose, I don't want to hear COVID. I, I, I just simply don't want to hear it, guys. Because you, you can't use that excuse when you lose and not use it when you win. No, no, you just beat Florida. You went on the road. You outplayed them. You out-hustled them, by the way. The tenacity, the energy. You know, I need to stop questioning this team's mentality and their toughness. And not necessarily even their toughness, but just their confidence, their overall mental state, like where they're going to be. You know, this is a team that's overcome all the COVID stuff, all the adversity, the layoffs, the losing. And they come out in that game last night and, and play the way they did. And again, I, I applaud them. I tip my cap to them. Unreal stuff. You know, I, do I think you're going to make the tournament? Absolutely not. I, I saw a fan say, "Oh, this is the you know this is the turn this is the game that we needed for the turnaround to, to to get on a run and make the tournament." I think that's aggressive. I think that's very aggressive, actually. But overall, a, a great win. I, I mean. And like I told you guys, here's the big thing with Frank Martin that fans want to see. If you can finish this season strong and have performances like you had last night and get some quality wins, and you, you, you don't have to make the tournament. If you just finish above 500 in conference play and have some nice wins along the way, I don't think anybody is going to be coming after Frank Martin. I think it's going to be, you know what? It started out rocky. We started to question the direction of the program. But, hey, COVID was a real thing. Once this team got in a groove, showed its true colors, they're able to finish strong, come together, fine. We're good. Passing grade 2020. That, that season was craziness. We move on to next year. But my point after you lost to Vanderbilt was, like, you can't just limp through the rest of the season. You can't limp through the rest of the season and lose every game and say, oh, well, COVID. No, you got to go play. You got to go play. And for the first time this season, really, I mean, even, even in the games against A&M and Georgia, yeah, you won the games, but it was like, eh, you know, I mean, both, both wins, it felt like, did you really beat a really good team? Florida's a good team. Florida was arguably the hottest team in the conference. They had just gotten in the top 25, and you take them out. Again, I don't know what I'm talking about with <laughs> basketball, guys. I, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. I'll own it. I have been so wrong all season. I have been so wrong. Every game, I have been wrong. The fact you guys are still tuning into this show is a blessing because I have been wrong every single game. And trust me, the people on Twitter, 
they have let me know about it. It's so funny. There's like this same group of like five or six accounts that they are so quiet when the team loses. And when we win, oh, God, it's like, it's just like the floodgates open. The floodgates open. So, whatever. Hey, it comes with the territory. We love it. We love it. But I'm not picking the scene to win ever again. I can tell you that much because apparently I am the ultimate jinx. I do. I even literally tried it on Twitter and it worked. I tweeted, I have a very bad feeling right now. That was like middle of the second half. Sure enough, we go on a run. I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. It's outrageous. Next, I'm going to start saying, tomorrow I will not find a million dollars on the ground. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I mean, it's crazy. It's lunacy. But, hey, seriously, great win for Frank Martin. Great win for this team. For this group of dudes coming together, finding a way, overcoming the adversity. Unreal. I mean, just, again, you were eight-and-a-half-point underdogs in, in, in Vegas. No, nobody was expecting you to get this W. Nobody. Nobody was expecting you to get this W. But you did some key things I talked about before the game. You, I thought you won on the outside. You won the three-point line. You made life very tough for Florida. The offensive rebounds, that was big. I thought you, again, having McCreary and Levesque both in the lineup and then Keyshawn doing what he's doing makes a world of difference. So, again, kudos to the guys. Now, now the question. Now the question turns to. Now the question turns to this. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? You got Mississippi State Saturday. What team shows up? Again, COVID is not an excuse if you get blasted Saturday. It's, it's not. Just, just don't come to me with that. You've obviously shown the type of team you are, the type of players you have. COVID's not an excuse. Can you show up in just, just a sliver of consistency, just, just a little bit, just a little bit? On your home floor, too. That'll be the big question. That'll be the big question. I mentioned the people on Twitter, by the way. I want to give this guy a shout-out because he's been in my mentions all night long. And it's just hysterical to me. It's uh, I, I somehow haven't muted this dude yet. It's at Creeman18, K-R-I-E-M-A-N-1-8. I want to make sure I give my guys proper dues. He tweeted at me and said, you are the most negative dude I follow. Wish you played sports growing up besides left bench. Prove me wrong. He wants me to tweet back at him so bad. And it is very, very, very funny. Very funny. So, it's good stuff. I think he wants me to admit something about seventh woods which I, I don't i don't know so creeman 18 you know what you wanted me to you wanted me to tweet at you i'm assuming because you wanted some followers i don't know but hey better yet i've given you a shout out on the podcast and i'm gonna make sure i send you a tweet right after this so you know so pleasure doing business with you keep the yucks coming because you definitely make me laugh on a consistent basis when carolina plays basketball that is for sure all right let's move into the national signing day stuff hey it was national signing day yesterday also shane beamer 
wrapping up his first class in Columbia. I'm going to go down the list of guys that have signed, that committed yesterday, the transfers, and then we'll talk about this thing as a whole. So, obviously, the guys we already know about, the enrollees, Colton Gothier, Sam Reynolds, Nicholas Barrett, Marcellus Dial, Jordan Davis, um, guys that signed their LOI, Tavarian Scott. And, again, we've already talked about a bunch of these guys in the early signing period, but I just want to go down the list, and then we'll we'll kind of break it down because there are obviously some new, some new additions, obviously some new additions yesterday. Tavarian Scott, TJ Sanders, Omega Blake, Caleb McDowell, Colby Fields, Ladarian Craig, John Darius Morgan, Isaiah Norris. Then you have your transfers, Amarian Brown, David Spaulding, Jordan Strachan, or is that is it, I don't know is it Str- Jordan Strawn? That's how I remember that Jordan Strawn, Jason Brown, EJ Jenkins, Jakeem Green, and Daryl Williams. Okay, now listen. I I feel two ways about signing day. The first is this. I honestly think for the limited because listen, the transfers do not count in that group of guys. The transfers do not count in the rankings. So you had 13 total signees for signing day. So as you can imagine, your class ranking was not very good. 77th nationally, dead last in the SEC. On one hand, I want to say first things first, welcome home and thank you to the guys that picked South Carolina. Because you know what? I think it says a lot about the guys that chose to come to South Carolina amidst the the madness, the coaching change, the the culture shift. I think that says a lot about those guys. Like and we all we all say, you know, we want guys that want to be Gamecocks. These are guys that really want to be Gamecocks. If they didn't want to be, they wouldn't be coming here. Amidst all this stuff, they would not. So kudos to them and a huge thank you for for making that jump and coming to Columbia. But I look at this signing class two ways. The first is this. Listen, you're, you're, you're being judged off of 13 signings. Just from a sheer numbers perspective, your class is not going to be very good. It just isn't. You only have 13 signings. The transfers don't count in there. So I, I try to tell fans this to talk you off the ledge. Yes, the rankings are ugly. But I think when you add up, when you, when you take a look at the sum when you add in those transfers, granted, is is it exactly where you hoped your class would be? I mean, not necessarily. Not saying it would be a top 25 class with those transfers that in there, but it would be much better than 77th, much better. You wouldn't be last in the SEC. We wouldn't be having this conversation. On the flip side, I am not going to demean or belittle or berate any Gamecock fan that voices concern over being ranked below Vanderbilt in recruiting. I totally get it. Your worries are justified. Your worries are flat out justified, my friend. I mean, again, numbers or not, I, I just, I never in my lifetime would have ever thought I'd see a time where South Carolina was ranked below Vanderbilt in recruiting. Never, never thought I would see it. So I hear you. I feel you. But let's kind of break down what happened on signing day because, hey, there were some big announcements. First thing you have was 2021 three-star defensive back Ladarian Craig, who chose South Carolina over Mississippi State and Oregon State from the state of Alabama. I think a really, really good pickup. Out of Mobile. Really, really good pickup. Close to a four-star. Not a bad player. 6'2", 175. You needed help at defensive back. 
Here was a big one. Four-star Juco linebacker Tavarian Bam Scott. And I know on 247, he's a three. Some place he's a four. I don't know. Whatever. Good player. Outside linebacker, six foot three, 215 pounds, out of Dodge City Community College. Was ranked, I think, the seventh overall player in JUCO. Second best linebacker in JUCO. I feel like those numbers speak for themselves. You also picked a preferred walk-on from K.J. Scott out of Greenwood, showing the hometown guys. Love. And, of course, you had other guys ink their LOI. Colby Fields was a guy that did it. Um, T.J. Sanders did out of Marion. Obviously, getting him to sign was big. But, you know, overall, when I take a look at this class, guys, again, I'm not going to sit here and talk for 45 minutes and fluff it up and act like, oh, my, you know, everything's just so great. Like, we have such an elite class. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to bullshit you guys. But I will say this. Something that Beamer said in his uh, media availability at 4 o'clock, he talked about we wanted to address our needs. And those needs were this, wide receiver, linebacker, and defensive back. I mean, I think South Carolina did that and more. You know, you've got a you've got a, a quarterback, wide receiver, D tackle, cornerback, offensive lineman, outside linebacker, D lineman, wide receiver, running back, outside linebacker, defensive back, tackle, defensive back, wide receiver, defensive back, linebacker, quarterback, wide receiver, D lineman, linebacker. I mean, <clears throat> tons of linebackers, tons of DBs, places where, and I talked about this class was more so about adding just quality bodies, quality depth. You know. Getting some guys, of course, along the way that you thought could help your football team. Again, th there's no sugarcoating it. We, we knew this was going to be a makeshift class. We, we knew Shane Beamer was going to have to just throw this thing together. But I challenge fans to dig a little bit deeper. Because I think there are actually some, some guys who could be some Im impact players in this. But again, I I just, I'm not going to judge Shane Beamer and his staff off of this class. We, we knew the challenges. Everybody knew the challenges that were presented. I think the biggest thing was that the areas on the roster you needed to fill with depth, you got it. You got it, especially the linebacker position. I think it's a win from the linebacker standpoint. Daryl Williams is a good player. Uh, Jordan Strom was the dude that led the freaking country in sacks. You know, Colby Fields, a really good player out of Louisiana, by the way. You hear that guy talk, you can hear that Louisiana accent too. Tavarian Scott, seventh-ranked Juco player, second-ranked Juco linebacker in the country. Not bad. So you got guys to fill, if nothing else, depth. Again, we knew the challenges this year. Now we judge Shane Beamer on the 2022 class. That, that's when he'll really be judged, right? The recruiting prowess of Beamer and, and the rest of his staff. But overall, I, I mean, kind of what you expected, right? Kind of what we all expected from this National Signing Day. Um. You know, again, getting Scott was huge. Getting Ladarian Craig, I thought, was a really, really good pickup. But, hey, here's the reality, too, guys. Zero recruits in the ESPN Top 300. I think that was the first time. God, I, I don't even know when. I mean, it's been a long time since Alcon didn't have a single guy in the Top 300. But you know what? Again, like I said, guys, when you, when you have the coaching change, when you have to rip the Band-Aid off, when you're changing the culture, you, you don't have a choice. And, and it's more than worth the price. It, it is. It's more than worth the price. 
So, overall, Coach Beamer, we're behind you. All we got is all we need. We'll see if if Coach Beamer and his staff can develop some of these guys now from this this crop of dudes he's bringing in in his first his first class. I say that in quotation marks because this is not truly I would say his first class, but it technically is. I don't know. Either way, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. All right, let's move into hey the staff is finally complete yet again. How many times are we going to say this? Probably tomorrow there'll be some news, or probably today sometime when you guys are hearing this, some news will have dropped that. Some other coaches left, and we're doing this all over again. But the running backs coach, per football scoop, has been hired. Montario Hardesty. And if that name sounds familiar to you, you're not going crazy. Former Tennessee running back who has coached at uh, Charlotte. Coached a little bit at Tennessee, but has coached at Charlotte, I think, most recently. And has coached wide receivers. He's bounced around a little bit. But he's the new running backs coach. Overall, guys, a grade-wise, I'd, I'd probably give it a, a B. I mean, just, you know, a dude with SEC experience. He's actually played the position. You saw Marcus Lattimore give him the vote of confidence on social media. That's really all I need. That's really all I need at the end of the day. So, I'm just honestly, I, I'll just be totally honest, I'm just happy the staff's finally complete yet again. Um, Again, I, I think uh, for anybody who got the job, by the way, Again, I know fans, you know, they they want they want some solidarity in, in their in their football program and their staffs, especially. And they all, you know, we all want to know who the coaches are and this and that. Running backs coach was probably the one I was least concerned about. I mean, certainly from a recruiting standpoint, it's what can Hardesty do. Certainly, but Guys, we got Lloyd and Harris. There ain't much Montario Hardesty's got to do. Just get out the way and let the boys tote the rock. That's pretty much it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just let them run wild. There's probably a ton of listeners right now that probably could go coach the running back position if they really needed to. Hey, give the old rock to 20 and let him go. Give the rock to one and let him go. I don't have to say much of anything. No, but seriously, I think it's a good hire. Guy with SEC ties, SEC experience, played in the league. I think that's a big thing, too, when you're a guy. You saw it with Thomas Brown. When you played in the league and you can look a kid in the eyes and say, hey, I know I did it. I've done it at the highest level. That definitely stands out. That, that's definitely something that is uh, is valuable to have on your staff for sure. So, Montario Hardesty, per football scoop, is the Gamecocks' new running back coach. All right, let's move to some news and notes really quick. The Gamecocks baseball picking up more recognition in the preseason polls, ranked 23rd in the NCBWA poll, which is the National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association. So South Carolina ranked 23rd, basically being found in every single preseason top 25 poll. Great job, boys. Opening day now just 15 days away. Uh, one other quick note, something I had to mention. Announced officially yesterday, Will Muschamp, former Gamecocks head coach Will Muschamp, has been hired on at the University of Georgia. <laughs> has been hired on at the University of Georgia as an analyst. God, on the defensive side, I might add. Um, I wish Muschamp nothing but the best. Uh, of course, again, it's no personal ill will, nothing like that. I hope we throw for 7 billion yards on his safeties specifically. But, uh, man, what a time. Who, who could have seen that coming, right? Who, who, just who? Who could have seen that coming? 
I don't know. All right, let's move into our listener questions. Krusty Andy asks, our baseball team fights Thunderdome style. Who wins? Who is the alpha slash leader? Ooh, the baseball guys are going to get on me if I don't get this one right. <sighs> baseball team fights Thunderdome style. Who wins? Who is the alpha? Who is the leader? Well, see, I, all right, let me walk you through my thought process. Because my head goes straight to West Clark. Big, burly dude, you know, jacked a little bit. Kind of a rough-around-the-edges type of guy. That's where my mind goes first. But then I start to think. And I'm like, you know what? Hmm. Some other guys have jumped to the top of my head. Brady Allen. What am I talking about? What am I talking about? What about Brandon Fields, dude? Three-star running back in, in high school. Yeah, he's a true freshman, but his legs are built like tree trunks. I think Brady Allen could be scrappy in there too, though. I think that dude's, he's a dirtbag. He's a dirtbag. Don't sleep on Colin Burgess, by the way, getting low, getting down in the hole, low man wins. I'll tell you this too, Will Sanders, the true freshman, Six foot six, it's a big boy. Doesn't quite have the weight, though. I think he's like 205. Doesn't quite have the weight you'd like to see. Hmm. If I have to pick somebody, if I have to pick someone, I think it's going to be Wes Clark against Brandon Fields for the fight to the death. I think it's going to be those two guys. What? Hold on. What is, let's look at the roster. What, what is, what is Wes Clark weighing in at these days? <laughs> what is Wes Clark weighing in it? Let's see. Let's see. Um, Wes Clark is a cool, is a cool 6'2", 236. So, <clears throat> boy's thick. You know what I mean? Boy's thick. And you got Brandon Fields, 6'1", 201. I'll tell you who'd be a sneaky pick, too. He's a true freshman. Well, actually, shoot two of them. That'd be sneaky picks. Dude, Brett Thomas, sophomore. 6'5", 244, just from a sheer size perspective. And then, bro, the freshman from Fort Mill, Mag Cotto. 6'4", 245, dude. 245! That's a thick boy. Mm. See, Wimmer and Khalil have the height, but they're, too, they're just too light. <sighs> we got a lot of fit dudes on our team. Don't have many guys. We don't have, we don't have anybody like, like 250. Oh man, I I gotta give it to the, to, to my dude. I, I gotta give it to the veteran presence. I gotta go West Clark, man. I I gotta go West Clark. I, I just think that dude he he ain't going down without a fight. Gotta go West Clark. I have to go West Clark. So final answer: West Clark would win in a cage match. He is the alpha of the Gamecock baseball team. There you go. Uh, JB Gary underscore zero six three zero. Who will be the home run leader? Just talked about him, West Clark. It'll either, I'll tell you this, it'll either be Wes Clark or Brendan Malone, who I'm going to talk about tomorrow. By the way, guys, we are breaking down the third baseman on the show tomorrow. It's either going to be Clark or Brendan Malone. I will, I will put good money on that. And last question, Ben.Cottingham16. Can we get player comparisons between this year's team and 2010 or 2011? That's, that's tough. Honestly, that's tough. Um, I, I'd love to. Man, that, that's just tough to say, though, because – <clears throat> those 10 and 11 teams had things beyond just the field of play. We got to figure out 
what this team has character-wise. Not questioning their character, but those teams had something special behind them that made them as great as they were. You know, and I think it'd be unfair to try to draw even comparisons. So, listen, as a whole, I think this is a really, really good baseball team. I like this baseball team. I like the mix of pitching and hitting. I really like this team. It's got to come together, though. And it, it goes beyond just, hey, I can throw hard and, hey, I can swing hard. I can hit the ball hard. Like, it, it, there's more to it than that. This team has got to find its identity, its personality, be able to feed off one another, be able to battle and fight, scratch and claw and adversity, be able to win anyway. It's got to find that. So that's what those 10 and 11 teams had. And they had great players, by the way. And they had a great coach in Ray Tanner. So, again, like this team a lot. That type of stuff's got to come together, though. All right, appreciate the listener questions. And speaking on those 10 and 11 teams, boy, oh, boy, do we have an awesome, I mean, an incredible conversation interview for you guys i was literally smiling ear to ear the entire conversation former gamecocks head baseball coach chad holbrook and again of course he was he was an assistant on those 10 and 11 and 12 teams i might add and then was the head coach from 13 to 17 obviously i don't have to explain to you guys why that's a really really big deal for the business, the Spurs Up show, just in the sense of just the guests we've had on to get a former Carolina head coach in any sport is big time. And again, listen, I know some people felt some type of way one way or the other about Chad Holbrook, but if you, I want you guys to listen to the conversation. Chad's a, a really good dude. He's a genuinely good dude. We all know what happened. Things didn't work out here. It is what it is, but Chad is a good dude, a good baseball man, and again, a big, big Big reason that that South Carolina team won back-to-back national titles. So, appreciate him taking his time. Appreciate him being gracious enough to come on the airwaves. And again, guys, thank you guys so much for tuning in today. It's a great day to be a Gamecock. It truly is a great day to be a Gamecock. Like I said, guys, stay tuned for the show tomorrow as well. Really exciting stuff. We'll break down the game Saturday against Mississippi State. And also, the position unit preview, the position season the season preview series, I should say, for Gamecock Baseball will rage on as I can as I do the position unit preview series. God, that's a tongue twister. But we'll talk Gamecock's third baseman tomorrow going into the 2021 baseball season. So it should be really fun. Guys, thanks again so much for tuning in. Now, enjoy this interview with former Gamecock's head baseball coach, Chad Holbrook. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show, a man that played his college baseball at the University of North Carolina was a standout there, but most notably served as Gamecocks assistant baseball coach from 2009 to 2012, was the 2010 recruiter of the year and 2011 assistant coach of the year. He was also the head coach of the Gamecocks from 2013 to 2017, and of course, most notably helped lead the Gamecocks to back-to-back national titles in 2010 and 2011, and another appearance in 2012. He currently serves as the head coach of College of Charleston since 2018. And as a head coach, he has a career record of 283 and 146. Very pleased to be joined by former Gamecocks baseball coach, Chad Holbrook. Coach, appreciate you taking the time, man. It is a pleasure to chat with you. Seriously, very grateful to have you on. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, it's uh, really cool to watch your show from time to time and see a lot of my <laughs> former players on. And uh, it's uh, kind of my way every, every now and again of seeing how they're doing. And uh, yeah. it's good to see their faces. So I appreciate you having this type of platform for those guys to talk about their experiences when we were all together 
Yeah, and I, I definitely want to get to that in a bit because those guys obviously have glowing reviews of you and some funny stories I kind of maybe want to ask you about. But uh, I want to go back and we, we could sit here and, you know, break down your baseball career for hours because obviously you're someone that you've been around the game of baseball for a long time. But I want to start really, again, like I said, you played for the University of North Carolina from 1990 to 1993, second team All-ACC. You were a good ball player. Um, and obviously that's where you started your coaching career. You got to UNC as an assistant again, 94 to 2007. I'm assuming you probably took like a, a GA job or whatever right after, but you were the assistant there and the associate head coach in 2007 to 2008. And again, you guys had that thing rolling uh, and you take a look. I'm curious, what made you want to make the jump from UNC? Again, obviously your alma mater to South Carolina. I'm sure Ray Tanner was a guy that you had a relationship with. I mean, coach Tanner, Everybody in the game of baseball knows Coach Tanner in, in some capacity. I'm sure you probably faced him a couple of times, went up against him. But what made you eventually make that decision to jump from Chapel Hill to Columbia? Well, it's, it's kind of a crazy story. Um, you know, we did. We would, we had it we had it going pretty good there in Chapel Hill. I think we'd been at that point in time to three uh, mm. College World Series uh, appearances in a row, two national championship appearances in which we you know, lost to Oregon State both times. But we we were doing very well. We had some really really good players and. At that point in time, uh, you know, Coach Tanner and I were close, and uh, you know, and, and and he was in the process of, of some transition there with his assistant coaches, uh, Coach Toman, who had been with him for forever, uh, had just accepted a job at Liberty, mm. and uh, and in the following year, uh, Coach Toman, uh, excuse me, Monty Lee got the uh, got the job at the College of Charleston. Uh, it actually happened uh, two two times. Um, mm. He asked me to to come down. Um, uh, at one point in time after coach Lee or after coach Toman had left to Liberty. And at that point in time in my life, uh, no, there was no point, there was no one I respected in the game more than coach Tanner. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of people lose sight of this too, as my wife was born and raised uh, in Columbia, South Carolina and been a Gamecocker whole life. So, uh, but that first year, my son wasn't quite done with his chemotherapy. He wasn't quite done with his treatment because he was diagnosed with cancer at an early age. And uh, I just didn't feel like it was the appropriate time to 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 move him from his doctors, his nurses, his his, his care uh, that he was receiving in Chapel Hill. So we stayed. Uh, told him I couldn't quite do it that 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 go around. And I, honestly, I didn't think it would ever come back around. Um, you know, we maintained a great relationship with Coach Tanner. But the next year, uh, you know, Monty got a heck of an opportunity at his alma mater, and the job opened up again. And I still remember to this day. Coach Tanner picking up the phone and calling me after that happened and asked me, hey, who, who you think would be good uh, to take Monty's place? And and uh, I said, well, years passed. What about me? And uh, <laughs> that changed the dynamic of the conversation. Yeah, like I said, you guys had it rolling at UNC because I, I think back, I mean, South Carolina, obviously, um, what they were doing under Coach Tanner, I mean, there weren't many programs at that point for sure that were having more success than South Carolina. But North Carolina certainly, again, like you said, was up there with the back-to-back uh, the -back finals appearances. And obviously you guys ran into a really tough Oregon State group that, that got you twice. But what, what was it uh, when you came in? Obviously, again, the state of the program was pretty good, I would say. Um, did Coach Tanner, I guess, sell you on the fact of – again, I think South Carolina is a place that sells itself. And, again, you got in at a great time with the new stadium, Founders Park coming together and, and things. The momentum with Gamecock baseball was certainly there, obviously, like I said. But, uh, I mean, I, I'm sure you knew coming to Columbia there was going to be an opportunity to do, to, to, to do some special things. I mean, you, you wouldn't have probably jumped from a program that, again, like I said, there weren't many programs, I would say, that were – even on par with or maybe even ahead of South Carolina, but North Carolina certainly, again, with what you guys were doing, 
you know, was right there. Again, like I said, the, the opportunity to come to Columbia and do something special, I'm sure, had to play a big part in it as well. Well, at that time, and, and I'm not going to, uh, you know, at that point in time in the summer of 2008, you know, Coach, you know, at South Carolina, obviously, uh, getting to the College World Series is is, uh, is the end all be all. That's, what, right. that's where you're, you're expected to be. Um, you know, at that point in time in the summer of 2008, Coach Tanner had had a, a, a tough stretch of, of, of we lost some game, lost some super regional appearances. I don't, I don't think at that point in time he had been to the College World Series in six years. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Columbia, that's a drought. You oh, know, yeah. not, 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 <laughs> and that's not a fair, that's not fair to, to judge uh, where the state of the program is based yeah. on where you College World Series appearance because he was in the super regional every year, you know, I mean, and winning SEC championships. So it wasn't like there was anything wrong. Like you said, the, the, the program was in great shape. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, you know, Coach Tanner just, he, uh, we played each other in the Super Regional uh, in 2007. Um, the Gamecocks came to Chapel Hill while I was still up there. And, um, you know, we had a few conversations there about our program at North Carolina, his program. And, you know, Coach Tanner was like a, uh, he was like a father and a brother all rolled into one to me. Uh, and, and, and through our, you know, our entire time, when the when the conversations really got heated up from that point forward, and um, so it was uh, it was certainly interesting. I, I, at the end of the day, what made me decide to come to Columbia was family. I wanted my grand, I wanted Reese's grandparents to be able to spend time with him. Um, I want it, I love my alma mater. I love the University of North Carolina from the bottom of my heart. But at that point in time, Reese had had cancer. Uh, we didn't know his future, and uh, I wanted him to be around. His mom, uh, his grandparents, his grand—you know, his grandmom, his granddad, his great-grandparents—as much as possible, um, because at that point in time, we were taking it a day at a time, right. and it just felt right for family to make the call then. Yeah, for sure, Coach. Let's uh, let's move into a little bit more in depth your time at Carolina, because again, you, you first season two thousand nine. I remember specifically that year. Again, you guys are replacing a lot of power bats. The Smokes, Dishers, Darnells, Havens of the world had left. You bring in guys like Whit Merrifield, you know, a bunch of other guys, obviously, that become legends later on. But I remember that 09 season, a, a really, like you said, it's crazy to ever think for Coach Tanner, like the, the pressure was on, quote unquote. But 2009, you end the season in really tough fashion in Greenville. I mean, I, the guys that I've talked to that were on those teams have told me, like, that how much of a gut punch that was. I think it was like an extra innings game, we're ahead and then lost. But going in the 2010 season, I'm just curious because, again, like you said, the expectation, the standard is clearly set at South Carolina. I mean, the goal is to get to Omaha, bottom line. Did you guys sit around, you and Coach Tanner and the rest of the assistants, did you guys kind of sit around and say, you know what, we've got a group that if if we stay healthy and things kind of go our way, like you really felt like – or did you maybe see what happened in 2010 coming? Like, Did you feel like you had that type of squad? No, I, actually, no. Um, <laughs> we, we, we were actually uh, – we had some concerns about the depth of our pitching staff going into 2010. And, uh, you know, that reared its ugly head uh, right out of the gate. I think we went to East Carolina again yeah. and lost two out of three uh, to start the season. Um, and then the infamous uh, uh, Clemson rolled into Founders Park and I think beat us 19 to six. Yep. <laughs> and then that Tuesday, we are losing uh, three to nothing. Um, to one of Coach Tanner's former players, uh, Valparaiso. We are losing to Valparaiso three to nothing. So we lost a week in opening series. Mm. We, we, we got demolished, embarrassed at home to Clemson. And then we're losing to Val. The natives were not happy. 
and I and I remember a funny story is uh you know Coach Tanner actually was sitting beside me in the dugout and was like apologized to me. Uh, it was like you know, we're we're not we're we're not a good team. I mean I can hear him and say we're not a good team. I'm sorry I brought you down here for this. You know something like that effect. <laughs> and uh, I was like you know and we always felt like we were going to be good and we were competitive. At that time we weren't playing well. But I can't sit here and tell you and I don't think Coach Tanner could was when you're getting your brains beat out by your rival you don't sit there and say, hey, this is a national championship team. Uh, you know, we, we thought we had a lot of work to do. We thought we had some ability. We were worried about the pitching depth. Um, but as the season unfolded, that depth, uh, we found some. And, yeah. uh, and, and some kids started pitching their hearts out and pitching really, really well. And uh, about the middle of that year, um, I felt like we had a team that, that, that could do something special. Um, and we, were, we were competing against the best teams in the SEC and winning our fair share. And then, and then the team just felt like they weren't going to lose. So uh, we kind of got we call we call it magic in a bottle, so to speak, and had special players um, that wouldn't accept anything short of winning. And uh, and collectively as a group, that momentum started to carry on. And then we had some things, you know, I, spiritually spiritual is not the not the right word, but we had some things going on off the field that you could tell it was a group of kids coming together. Uh, it was a special feeling. And, um, you know, from from how much they cared about how they performed on the field to how much they cared about each other and to how much they cared about some others in the community. Uh, you just got the feeling it was a special group. Yeah, it's funny you say spiritual. I think specifically to the spirit stick. And I, I know all Gamecock fans probably remember, and I, it was Parker Bangs that I had on. He told me, he's like, man, you should have seen uh, – forgot which coach it was. He's like, you should have seen the coach's face when they walked in the locker room. We had all the lights off. And we're acting like a fool and just shaking his head like these are just, I mean, who are these guys? But you, you mentioned again that 10 season. I know we're talking obviously because the 2011 season is the 10-year anniversary, which it's really nice, by the way, to have back-to-back -back years where it's a 10-year anniversary winning a national title. You know, not many, not many have that luxury. But uh, no, you mentioned, like I said, the pitching depth in that 2010 season. The guy that jumps out to me is a guy like Blake Cooper. I mean, what he did going just Friday after Friday against the best guys. I mean, these these first-rounders, and he's just going out and beating them. And then you think of Sam Dyson and the way Matt Price stepped up and John Taylor and Jose Mata, and I think of a guy that I've had on my show, like Adrian Morales, who, I mean, that guy will have you ready to run through a brick wall just talking to him. And obviously, he's doing great things down in uh, down in Florida coaching now. But th that, that run in 10, because I think it's a lot different. And talking to Adrian, he made this point, too, that 11, and we're going to get to it in a second, but 11 felt a lot more business-like. Like, you guys knew you were the best, bottom line, where we're going to go out and do our job. 10 was a much different vibe in the sense you're trying to break through and do something that had never been done before. And I think you make the great point of it was a group of guys kind of almost trying to learn how to win or learn how to win at that level, if you will, and come together and, and you know, make it happen, kind of break through the odds, if you will. Like, what, what are the things, again, there's so many memories, I'm sure, but just what sticks out to you about that run most specifically, even if you just want to talk about Omaha, because again, you lose game one, you, you lose. And it's so funny. I mean, I've, you know, it, it's wild to hear a guy like Michael Ross say, yeah, I, I kind of thought we were going home. And I'm like, dude, you literally started like two days later, <laughs> but like him at, you know, had Matthews and it's like, you know, everybody's kind of like, well, I guess this was fun. I mean, it's a good trip to Omaha, but you guys are able to be resilient, come back. I mean, defy the odds, you know, Jackie Bradley's hit against Oklahoma, beating Clemson twice, you know, taking down big, bad UCLA. I mean, there's just so many, great moments and memories, you know, from that run that you guys had in 2010, eventually leading the national championship. Well, you know, and, and here, here's, you know, you mentioned the fact that we lost the first game, but it goes back further than that. You know, 
we we were playing Florida uh, for the SEC East Championship, mm-hmm. the last regular season weekend of the year at home. And, uh, you know, we felt very good that we were the favored team and that we were going to win and we were going to, you know, win a championship and celebrate on our field. And it didn't work out that way. Yeah. You know, so we lost two out of three to Florida. Uh, and then we went to Hoover for the SEC tournament and lost two in a row. So we House had of horrors in Hoover for Carolina yeah, we, baseball. <laughs> we had lost four out of five yeah. going into the NCAA tournament. Yeah. All right. So uh, it's not very good. Right, and, right. And, then, and then uh the first game of the NCAA tournament, we're losing – Things were getting really tight. We're in the sixth inning, and uh, we're losing five to one to Bucknell, mm. and uh, and that's when the rain delay happened. That's when the infamous yeah. spirit stick was born, <laughs> I believe, and uh, and and that's when you know all the lights were out, and they were trying to have a come together a meeting at that point in time. Right. But that was the beginning of an incredible run, um, you know, and came back and won that game. I, mean, I remember Jackie hit a big home run against uh, Bucknell, kind of the left field there, that kind of got us ahead and let us breathe a little bit easier. And, and we got through that regional and, and, and uh, you know, we were, we were, we were sitting in a pretty good spot, but, uh, but, but lo and behold, I mean, that coastal Carolina team that we were facing in 2010 mm-hmm. to this day, and I've told their coaches this a number of times, it might've been the best team we played that whole season. Yeah. Everybody I've had on has said that literally every player I've had on said that was the best team we played all, all year long. Yeah, they were, they were, they were phenomenal and in their own park and, you know, again, we just had a group that that kind of overcame uh, some adversity. Um, we weren't deep like we wanted to be in the right. bullpen at that time. We the, we still didn't know who Michael Roth was at that point in time. <laughs> right. You know, and uh, and and we didn't feel like going to a game three against Coastal was going to be any good for us, uh, to be quite honest with you. And then uh, and then that big inning and some magical things happened that inning yeah. before. Uh, Christian hit that big home run and uh, uh, just a phenomenal, f- phenomenal two days for us. And then, and then, like you said, I, 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 this funny, this is a funny story. We, we were in Omaha and, and uh, we'd lost to Oklahoma and I was on the phone um, on one of these radio shows in town and I was kind of being put on hold because we were calling every off day, you know, the media people would want to talk to folks out in the college. We just lost. It was the day after we lost to Oklahoma. And I was on hold, I believe, with Jay Phillips from 107.5 The Game. And mm. they put me on hold, and they, I could still hear the show going on while they tried to get, you know, to their guest. And mm. and uh, and one of the guys that was on the phone that called in, you know, actually called in and was letting us have it pretty good. And I was still upset from the loss. And right. I remember the quote was, you know, the game is past Ray Tanner by. Um, we, we need to make a change in our baseball program. Like man, we're sitting out here in the College World. This is ours. Sitting out here in the College World Series, we're one of the last eight teams standing, and uh, they think our coach is uh, not in a good spot. And uh, lo and behold, after that game, that loss, yeah. um, we went on to win. I believe was it twenty-two NCAA tournament games in a row. A record that'll never be broken. Yeah, that thing will stand for a long, yeah. long period of time, and uh, something that we're awfully, awfully lucky and proud of, and awfully lucky to be a part of. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you kind of in a joking way, but you mentioned that uh, that Coastal Carolina game, game two, and I, I forget who it was that told me, but like you said, some magical things happened before Christian Walker's homer. And I, like I said, I forget the player. Maybe it was Bobby Haney or somebody who basically said that, again, I, I was going to ask you, is Coach Tanner the baseball god? Because, you know, we talk about the baseball gods. Like, I mean, I've had guys, again, Forrest Kumis is a good buddy of mine. He talked about, dude, Coach Tanner would literally 
walk you through exactly what's going to happen and then who's going to get the hit. Who's gonna, and it would happen exactly as he described it. And he said that was one of those moments where he's like, all right, Jackie's going to get on. We're going to steal him. We're going to do it. Christian's going to hit a home run. We're going to win this game. We're going to go to the college world series. And it's like, it literally happened as he described it. Like, it, yeah. and there's just been so many stories I've heard that are just like that. Like if coach Tanner said it ain't going to rain and we're going to play, we're going to play. I mean, it's right. like, you know, it, it, some things happened that were a little bit crazy in that, you know, that run, uh, he, he predicted the big home run against UConn for, for, for Christian. He told it, he said, Hey, this guy's going to throw you a change up and, uh, be, be sitting on it and hit out of the park. Let's go back to Omaha. I remember that clear as day. And that's lo and behold what happened. Kid threw him change up and Christian hit it out of the park. And, uh, and, and, you know, the rest is history. But that day, that day we were down two, we were down two runs at the time yeah. and they were going to their all American closer. And, uh, and I remember Ray, everyone was on deck and, and coach Tanner looked at him and said, Hey, you two guys are going to get on. I think it was Witt and Morales. He looked yeah. at both of them and said, Hey, you two guys are going to get on and he's going to hang a slider to Walker and we're going to, we're going to win this game. I, I remember that was clear as day. And, uh, you know, Walker's lo looking at him like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, he's losing his mind. And, uh, yeah. lo and behold, I think Morales maybe said, said, no, 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 I'm gonna hit a two run homer and tie this thing up or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> Morales always wanted to be, he wanted that moment. He wanted, yeah, he wanted that moment. Uh, <laughs> but lo and behold, that's kind of what happened. Uh, those two kids fought their way on base and I believe Jackie had an incredible at bat, like an, you know, 10 or 11 pitch at bat yeah. and fought, fought off some really, really good pitches and, and then, uh, yeah, uh, same thing. What happened? He goes, he's going to throw a slider that's going to back up, and and uh, Walker's going to Walker's going to hit it out. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, he gave him one of these. Like, all right, come out the shoes. Let's go. <laughs> come out the shoes. That's what he did for sure. I, I know this is kind of a, a you know tough question to answer, but I just want to get your take on it again. We all know Whit Merrifield walk off hit first national championship in school history, the first national title for you. And again, it's somebody that had been so close. Again, you had been there with UNC. You get there with South Carolina to finally win one. Just can you describe the emotions of that all to finally get to the pinnacle? Well, you know, you only dream as a kid, you know, as a coach, you watch the College World Series on TV and you dream of just being able to go, yeah. uh, being able to participate in it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the dream to win it ever, ever, other, ever really, I really believed it. You know, I, I never, I was like, man, we can just get there. Anything can happen. And, and, uh, and I, the feeling is, is still to this day is indescribable. I mean, I, I can take you back through the emotions of that whole inning pitch by pitch. And uh, it's uh yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy thing. And I remember the conversations with Wingo at third base, we were 90 feet away at that time. And Witt was facing a really, really good pitcher and, you know, and, 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 you know, things weren't anywhere close to being over at that point in time, you know, because lo and behold, if we don't win that game, you know, we got Trevor Bauer next and, uh, and that, and that wasn't going to be fun, you know. So <laughs> we had to take advantage of this opportunity. And, uh, and you know, we had an incredible at bat. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 the conversations I had with Wingo as that was unfolding was incredible. And what a special kid he was and is. And, um, yeah, it was a magical moment. And uh, I, I'm so blessed that I, I got to be a part of that. And those kids uh, and that team allowed me to be a part of it. It was uh, – an incredible feeling for sure and uh you know and then the, you know i know you've probably heard this story but after we win that one we're going to the airport the next day and columbia's euphoric and you know they can't wait for us to get home and you know from parades to what was waiting on us at the basketball arena i mean we heard all the stories but you know when you're away so far you don't really can't grasp it so right. to speak and all you hear is like man columbia can't wait for you guys to get home and so we're all anxious to get to the airport and um 
and and coach tanner tells the uh, bus driver to go another way and um so we don't go directly to the airport we go by the construction site of the new stadium mm-hmm. and uh and i and coach stood up and you know stood up and stopped the bus and said hey ain't gonna be cool we won the last one in brosenblatt we're gonna win the first one here and uh I was like, that's really, really cool. And <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I, I want to go, uh, Coach, to you specifically, because, again, in 2010, you were named Recruiter of the Year. Um, obviously, a really high honor for you. And, again, I mean, I guess one of the highest honors an assistant coach can win. But you, you definitely had a hand in recruiting some of the the greatest players to ever, you know, wear the uniform for South Carolina. What do you think made you, and, and still probably to this day, I'm sure, for CFC, what, what do you think your strengths are in recruiting? Like, what, what makes you such a great recruiter? I don't, I, I let my coaches now, shoot, I got great coaches. They do all the recruiting for me now. So kind of, I'm, I'm awfully blessed, but you know, at that point in time, er, you know, everybody works hard at it. It's, it's, yeah. uh, you know, you, at the end of the day is this, you, 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 you have to treat people the way you want to be treated. Uh, and you have to tell kids that they're going to have this type of environment to play in and that you're going to provide it for them and that you're going to coach them and you're going to teach them and you, you're going to be there for them on and off the field. It's nothing that any other coach doesn't say. Uh, it's nothing. But at the end of the day, you have to develop a relationship in which the kid and the family believes it. And uh, ultimately, you know, you know, through the through the course of time, we've been blessed that a lot of a lot of families and a lot of kids trusted the programs I've been a part of, and uh, and that's a that's a good feeling. You know, I certainly don't have all the answers, and I don't have I don't have this thing figured out. Ultimately though i do have two kids and there was a certain way i'd want my kids to be treated and and we try to treat our players that way here and there at south carolina and 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 north carolina just just treat your players the way you'd want your kids to be treated if you do that i think at the end of the day you can lay your head down at night and feel good about the job that you're doing for sure now coach 2011 like i said had a little different of a vibe like i said what morales you know talked about was it felt a little bit more like business like you said the plan was to win that next one that first one in td ameritrading and that's something i think like you said is so cool nobody can ever take away from south Carolina baseball closing out rosenblatt and opening up td ameritrade but that 2011 season like i said we sit here the 10-year anniversary of that season how much different was the mindset from you know the top down from coach tanner to yourself to the players because like i said again 2010 was this is something we hope we can do 2011 like I, you know that was the expectation bottom line. and like you talked about the the fans you know like i mean i i don't know that a, anything less than a national championship would have uh sufficed because you know i joke with the guys that played on that 2012 team i'm like how does it feel to be on like the best forgotten team ever because nobody talks about 12 and i'm like they went to the final but it's like when you don't win it all and you want it back to back it just you know it's crazy well, at 11 team, you know, we as coaches, we knew we were pretty darn good. Uh, you know, everybody in our league is good, though. You yeah, know, and yeah. at the you can you you always fear as a coach that the ball's not going to bounce your way. And we were equally matched against Florida or Vanderbilt. And the, you know, we wouldn't make the big pitch at the right time, and we could finish third in our division. You know, that could easily happen. Yeah. So. That was the scary part for the coach, either the coaches in 2011. But our players, they never, they never let any worst case scenario enter enter their mind. They they were uh, arrogance, probably a little strong, um, but that, it was close to that. It was uh, it was a team that never felt like they were going to lose. Uh, it didn't matter uh, what the score was or what had happened in the course of the game. Um, that team that team felt like it was the best team on the field. 
and that when the last out was made or, or you know, we were going to be ahead. And uh, it didn't matter where we were playing. It didn't matter who we were playing. Uh, that's what – and that stemmed a lot from, you know – you know, Roth was obviously important. We had Matt Price at the end of the game, which we knew if we had got the ball to him, the game was pretty much over. And then, um, but, but, and I tell people this, and this is no disrespect to some of the great kids I've had a chance to recruit, but I don't know if there was a more important recruit than I ever recruited than, than Adrian Morales. And, and I think the kids that are on that team actually probably understand that. And I think the coaches obviously that were in the dugout understand that. Adrian had a way about him that everyone uh they followed his lead he was tough he was mean he never he never always felt no matter what was going to go on the baseball field that we were going to win if you had just listened to him <laughs> i mean in many ways he was the once the once the game started in between the white lines he was the coach and yeah. uh but he was so emotional and uh and and he he, he so tough and and never gave in and i think uh, uh many 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 times during those two years, uh, we followed his lead. And uh, he was an important uh, – there was better players on that team. Mm. Uh, obviously, there's big leaguers and right. guys still enjoying great careers. American mm. – you know, Witt's leading the American League in hits. Jackie's a gold glove center fielder. Um, Sam Dyson's had a good run in the in, 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 in Major League Baseball. Christian Walker. Christian Walker just wears it out left yeah. and right. You know, so we had some great players. Uh, there were better players on those teams. I don't know if there was a more important player yeah. uh, than Adrian, and uh, it was uh, it was cool to witness that. And it, it just made us, you know, because it taught me a great lesson as a coach that you don't have to be the most talented kid on the field to have a huge impact, right. and uh, and and you didn't have to be the most talented team on the field to to beat your opponent. You know, Blake, like you said, Blake Cooper, you know, a little kid from Nice, South Carolina, throwing 87, 88 miles an hour is going up against Garrett Cole, who's throwing 106. You know. And uh, we find ways to win. It didn't matter. You know, we're facing Garrett and Blake's facing, you know, you know, and, you know, I know the commentators at that point in time in, 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 in Omaha didn't give us much of a chance. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the mindset of the Blake Coopers and the Adrian Morehouse of the world didn't expect anything less. Yeah, I had Kyle Peterson on the show, and I had to ask him, was was Oral pulling for UCLA? To be honest. So. <laughs> no, no. Uh, no, it's funny you bring up Morales, though, because uh, I, I chatted with Bobby Haney about this. He obviously talked a lot, a lot about Morales and, like one of the funniest things he said was, I think it was 2010. He said, Coach Tanner's getting on Adrian. Adrian looks at him like, Coach, relax. I got this. And he like, Bobby was like, he just told Coach Tanner to relax. He could do that, though. That's just. He did it a number of times. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like nobody could fathom a player doing that. <laughs> a number of times. I remember one time uh, Coach Tanner put on the bunt when Adrian was bunting and he stepped out of the box and raised, you know, put his hands up like this. What, what are you doing? And, uh, you know, Tanner got on in between innings. And, what, you know, what are you doing doing that embarrassing me? And he goes, why? and then Morales is like, why are you putting on bun? I'm leading the team in RBIs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt that was a dumb play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, still, uh, I still remember, you know, and only Adrian, yeah. you know, do that. Fierce like, competitor. Bobby's, Bobby's right. If, if Bobby or Wingo or Adam Matthews says that to Coach Tanner, they're probably in the shower, you know. Yeah. But Adrian had that way of uh, – uh, he just had the respect of everyone in that dugout because yeah. of the competitor that he was. For sure. Let's jump ahead to 2011 College World Series final, game one against Florida. Have you ever been part of a crazier baseball game? Well, uh, I mean, we had some crazy ones out there. I mean, the Virginia one was crazy, too. Yeah. I mean, we, we got out as uh, we got out of some 
jams that were crew. I mean, I don't know exactly how many, maybe three bases loaded, no out jams that we got out of and didn't even give mm -hmm. up a run. Yeah. Uh, some of the plays that Wingo and Robert Berry made against uh, the Virginians and the Floridas, I mean, incredible. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, we, we played defense. That's the one thing that I still bring carry with me every day out with my team is if you play defense, no matter who the opponent is, you're going to have a chance to win. And and that team, no matter if we hit, we didn't hit, one nothing, one. We played defense. We 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 always made our opponent beat us. And uh, some of the plays we, we made when Jake Williams throwing out. Jake Williams can't throw. I mean, he can't throw. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, and I think Zanino got that hit. Uh, you know, I feel like all right, we're down one nothing. How are we going to win two in a row? Yeah. And uh, and, and I kind of put my head down, and all of a sudden I looked up, and the ball's traveling the home plate. And I'm like, hell, he might be out, you know. And uh, and lo and behold, you know, Jake Williams, who couldn't make that throw, if he threw it a hundred times, he wouldn't make it. He wouldn't make it two or three times. Uh, and we tagged that guy out and and got out of some more jams the rest yeah. of the way. It was just, you know, you hate to say fate or you hate right, to say right, it was right. just meant to be, but when sh when stuff happens like that, yeah. you, you wonder <laughs> you yeah. wondered if there was a higher hand involved in the outcome of those games because some special things took place. Yeah, it's funny. I need to get Jake Williams on the show because I've probably had 20 different accounts of his throw and how he doesn't have an arm. I want to get Jake on here and be like, Jake, just you tell me what, like what, because it's funny, Jake, you know, get speaking Jake's of say he can throw. Because yeah, speaking of Morales, he literally, he, like, one of my favorite quotes I ever had on the show was he literally just starts with, Jake Williams did not have a good arm. Like, just, just call it for what it is. Don't even sugarcoat it. And like you said, he just made the throw of his life, which thank God he made it in, in that time. On the biggest uh, stage, on the biggest yeah. stage, oh, yeah. championship with, uh, yeah, it was uh, incredible. I mean, yeah. incredible stuff. Yeah, one of my favorite stories, too, is after you guys get that win in game one, I think it was Bobby Telemere. I forget who it was because, yeah, Bobby wasn't on that team. It was somebody else, though. They said Stephen Garcia was at the team hotel, and uh, he, had, he had seen Florida come in. He was basically hyping you guys up, saying, like, you got them, you got them. They're, they're just shot. They're and I, I think you saw that. I mean, that, that's – you think how they lost, I man, just how deflating that must – I mean, you can imagine being on the other side. But, again, you get that win in game two, and, and Matt Price closes that thing out, and Jackie catches the ball and throws it in center field, which is another funny story. that He actually explained on our Instagram. It was kind of funny, ironic. But uh, winning that one, again, back-to-back, -back, close – you know, you did exactly what Coach Tanner said you were going to do, close out Rosenblatt, open up TD Ameritrade. I know the feeling was different winning that second one, but it couldn't have been any less sweet, right? Well, I think the the first one, the first one in ten was probably more euphoric um, because you know, it's something that we'd never experienced before, and I think in 2011 maybe it was more satisfying. So, uh, you know, because it's how hard it is to do, um, mm -hmm. it, you know, it was it was. Uh, I think that was the, that was the feeling I got as a coach, and I'm sure the players probably feel that way. They might not have found the right words to explain it, but we were all just on cloud nine and euphoric in, in 2010, and in 2011. We knew everyone was going to be shooting for us. We knew we had a good team, um, but we knew we were going to have to play incredible baseball to, to get it done. And, you know, sometimes the best team doesn't always win, as right. we all know. And, yeah. uh, uh, and I think winning in 2011 was just uh, – it couldn't have been – it couldn't have been more satisfying. Mm -hmm. and, um, and and we couldn't have been – we couldn't have felt like we accomplished anything greater. Mm -hmm. um, again, 10, the euphoric, the feeling of – Wow, we, we yeah. just you know we just won a national championship. Yeah. The 2011 was wow, we we did it again. You know this is a special group. Let's take it all in and really really relish what what this group has accomplished. And uh, I think the feeling was I like Adrian said business like is probably as close to the right 
it's close to the right term. That, that, that team was businesslike, but they were they were extremely confident. They were extremely they were very close. They had great chemistry, and they had a sense of arrogance about them that they felt like no matter what, we were the better team and we were going to win. And it didn't matter who we were playing. Yeah, and and when you win, everybody you know to the victor goes the spoiled. And obviously that that was true for you as well. 2011, you were assistant coach of the year. Got got more awards. And it's funny, I think. You know, going into 2012, I'm sure, like, you, you guys are on cloud nine, like you said, but the unreal pressure to win it again. Because it's like, you know anything short of winning the title, and you see that from the 12 team. I mean, that 12 team, you know, for, you know, just to poke at them a little bit, that school up the road in the upstate, that, that's like their best season ever. I mean, they've never won a national title. To get there would be, you know, reaching the all-time pinnacle. But for a program that had won back-to-back, again, you get there, you run into the buzzsaw that was that Arizona team, and again – the records that the team set that you were on that what is it 22 straight in in the postseason wins yeah. that'll yeah. never be touched I don't I don't see any way that will ever be touched but I, I want to move forward even past that coach and just ask you because again coach Tanner deciding to retire and step down what were the conversations like obviously you take over as the head coach and I know obviously that's probably something again after being recognized so uh you know nationally as an assistant you know just kind of how did that all come about when you took over as Gamecocks head baseball coach well, I mean, I think at that point in time, you know, he, he, Coach Tanner had felt like he, he had accomplished – he couldn't accomplish right. anything more. Because I know that was a, that was surprising to fans that he – you know, it's 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 rare to see someone step down, I guess, in the peak, right? You know, most most people probably stick around too long, if anything else. But the smart, you know. the smart ones do step right, down. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, most of the time, obviously uh, – some of the conversations were had, you know, many of the coaches, the all-time great coaches, sometimes don't leave uh, on their own. You know, they they, yeah. they wait too long. And uh, I think Coach Tanner just felt like he he, he had coached a long period of time at that in many years, uh, both at NC State and South Carolina. Uh, we'd had an incredible run of College World Series appearances. I think he just felt like it was the right time for him and his family. And obviously the opportunity to be the athletic director uh, was something that was going to him and his fingerprints on the program uh and you know at that point in time you know you you, you don't want to we we had it going pretty good in the thought process as you sit there in that moment in june of july of 2012 uh is is hey let's not let's not do anything to to, to screw this mojo up you know yeah. let's 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 keep everything on of course keep our same players in here let's keep the way we recruit the same you know going and let's let's keep the same coaches involved and um, it just seemed like the, you know, the right move at that time. And, and, you know, we, we, it, it, the conversations weren't necessarily, uh, like, Hey, this is what's going to happen. It was more like, Hey, get to work, you know, <laughs> it, right. Right. The work. It, it, it never even coach Tanner had a way of making everybody feel like no matter what, whether he was the AD or whether he was the coach that he was in charge and, um, and he, and he was in control and, and uh, we didn't really look outside for any other answers. It was, right. uh, hey, what he says is how it's going to unfold, and just listen to what he says, and yeah. and let's 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 proceed. And yeah. uh, that's kind of what we did. You know, as coaches, we didn't think uh, anything else other than you know listen to the boss man and follow his lead, and and uh, do what we can to continue to to create great success here at South Carolina. Yeah, and like you said, why would you mess up the mojo with three straight national title appearances, two national titles, and yet another great team in 13 that ran into that, but you know, that tough UNC team and, you know, went to the Supers and 
<clears throat> to your credit, because I, I want to just get your take overall, Coach Holberg. I know we're talking about the national title teams, but your career as the head coach at the University of South Carolina from 13 to 17, some highs, some lows, but a ton of great teams and a ton of great players. And again, like you said, I've had the opportunity. I've been blessed enough to speak to a lot of your former players, and they, they speak extremely highly of you. And again, you know, you, you take a look at some of those teams you were the head coach of and the guys that came through. And you talk about big leaguers. I mean, look at Clark Schmidt, Will Crow, Adam Hill, you know, Braden Webb, guys that <clears throat> are still doing it right now, you know, in the professional ranks. Um, when you look back on your career at South Carolina, again, it's a point you made earlier that I, I think is really great for, you know, fans to keep in mind. Because, you know, I mean, fans want to win. They, they, they're, they're whatever. The standard is the standard, which is great. That's one of the reasons why I love and many people love Carolina baseball is because the standard is what it is. But I think sometimes people don't take a second to appreciate just how hard it is to get to Omaha. I mean, it's every, like you said, everybody's trying to get there. And again, your career at Carolina, there were injuries. There, there were some great teams, but there were highs or lows. When you look back on your career, what are the things that stand out in Columbia? Is there anything you would have changed, done differently? I mean, because again, I, I know there's more positive memories than negative ones, but you know, things happen. Baseball's a random game. And like, like, you know, again, to your point earlier, People just – it's like you got to appreciate just how hard it is. Like that run from 10 to 12 really needs to be appreciated. I mean, it's just incredible. It'll probably never be done again. Yeah, no, it, it, I don't think it will be. Yeah. Uh, you have to be awfully on a special team and a special program for it to happen again. But, you know, you know, people ask me about that quite a bit. And, honestly, I'm awfully proud uh, of, of the experience that I got to, to – to not only as assistant, but, even, but you asked me about being the head coach is – you know, we won 40 games a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we went to two Supers mm-hmm. in five years. Uh, we went to three regionals. And, and, it, and one of the years, we, we, we weren't as good as we should have been. Right. You know, one of my five years, it, it wasn't a typical South Carolina team. Mm-hmm. And if you say, well, you had to do over again, that, that year bothered me uh, a, a lot. But, I, but we worked tirelessly to fix it and not let that happen again. And, and the rest of the teams were very, very talented and good. We had some bad luck happen. And and uh, you know we lost some really really key players in that in my last year there. We were preseason top five in the country yeah. uh, to start the year, and you know and you, you know you lose Tyler Johnson and uh, Jordan Montgomery and T.J. Hopkins at that point in time. It went down with the bad back. We we lost a core group of our players all seemed to be all at the same time, yeah. and uh, we couldn't quite finish uh, the, the season the way that we wanted to. Uh, but as I look back at the whole picture, I was awfully blessed to to have worked there. Um, awfully blessed to have coached there. Um, awfully blessed to have some lifelong experiences and friendships with people associated with the University of South Carolina, and uh, yeah, and, and and people ask me, you know, some sometimes you know, in the fan you get what you get the question, what happened, mm-hmm. or why didn't you do this? Well, right. honestly, my answer is I'm awfully proud uh, of of what we did. We 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 had some tough circumstances. Sometimes the ball didn't bounce our way. Uh, there's a few things here and there that I probably can't say that I would change. Uh, but ultimately, uh, awfully proud. We won 40 games a year. We went to two Super Regionals. Um, you know, I guess averaging 40 wins a year is kind of on par with averaging nine wins a year probably in football. You could probably say they're, those, are, those are close. So right, right. You know, we, we, we had some really good, solid teams. And yeah. we were on the brink of, of getting back to the College World Series. Um, but, you know, we, we, we ran into a hot Oklahoma State team. And, in the, and we played awfully well at University of North Carolina. They were the number one seed in the entire tournament in 2013. Um, and, you know, but it, it, baseball's a tough game. You know, it, it's uh, – you're not going to win them all. And, and sometimes the good fortune that we had in 2010 and 11 and even 12, we had some unfortunate fortune <laughs> or yeah. some tough fortune 
but you know what? It's uh, in the at the end of the day, my experiences there are are nothing but positive, and um, so many players I love dearly. Uh, school, I love the school dearly, um, and and I hope I wish nothing but the best for the program. Uh, it was uh, spent nine years of my life there, so um, uh, I was awfully blessed to be a part of, of the University of South Carolina, and and um, and I had a great experience both as a head coach and as assistant coach there. And there might be a few things here and there, but not much I would change. Uh, I, I I love the people in Columbia, great fan base. It's a uh, fond, 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 very fond memories. For sure. Now, that's great perspective, Coach. I'm going to get you out of here before I do, though. Talk a little bit about your, your uh, CFC team. Uh, obviously, again, you're the head coach at College of Charleston, which great baseball program. I mean, they've been good for as long as I can really remember. But you, you want to take a second to plug your – I know you probably don't want to make them feel too good for the season, but we're sitting here about two and a half weeks away from opening day. Um, we get baseball back, thank God. But, uh, you know, just talk a little bit about your experience in Charleston and in this 2021 Cougar squad. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't be more fortunate, more lucky to be coaching in a great city at a great school um, and coaching some great kids. Uh, I have great coaches on my staff that, and heck, yeah, they, they, they carry me along for the ride. I just get to watch them. They coach their tails off and recruit their tails off. And, uh, and, and our players, you know, they work hard at it. They, they're a good group of kids. Um, um, I think we have a very competitive team. Um, and very, uh, we got a very challenging schedule in front of us, but I think we'll be able to hold our own against about any team that we play. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to make the right pitches at the right time and make the plays and get the big hits and, and have a special year. We have the ability to have a special year, um, but we're going to have to play well and play together and, you know, get some of that mojo that we had in 2010 and 2011. If this group would have has some of that, uh, it, it can accomplish a lot. And, uh, and, uh, but I'm awfully blessed to be here. It's a, it's a, it's a cool, cool place. And it's a great school, a great program best city in the world and i have some kids that really love to play the game so i'm um, awfully fortunate coach one last thing on a lighter note i was talking to will crow earlier obviously i had him on my show and he asked me to uh he told me to ask you about your race against ross as comedic relief you got any insight on that or is that <laughs> big, big, big Ross? well i told i told the team i don't know exactly remember the story but i, I know that uh I, I challenged one of my players to a race and it was ross i picked the slowest guy and <laughs> stupid and said something about like hey if we uh you know if i went if if ross beats me here um y'all can uh y'all are all off tomorrow something like that it was it was uh or i would take them to a nice restaurant or we'd say it was something that they were going to get a really cool something cool if, yeah. if ross beat me so they the team had lined up in the outfield and uh, yeah, we had a race, uh, but uh, I beat Big Ross. So. <laughs> there you go. They, they didn't get their day off, and uh, they didn't get their, their meal money, uh, whatever it was that day when we were – whatever we were running for. But Ross had a good time. He about he – he, 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 big old guy ran better than I thought he would, to be honest with you. I didn't think it, I didn't think it would be a contest, but he was uh, – it was a fun day. And, uh, yeah, she, there's all kinds of stories of that group from – the Will Crows of the world, to the Schmitz, yeah. the Montgomerys, the Pancakes. We had a we had a number of characters, and uh, yeah. you know I was awfully blessed to be able, be in the same dugout with those guys. They uh, those memories I'll, I'll hold dear forever. For sure. Well, Coach, it's been a pleasure. Like I said, very grateful. Seriously, can't thank you enough for taking the time to come chat and just shed some light on your time at South Carolina. And again, I, I 
I speak for Gamecock fans when I say again, it, it was a pleasure to watch you guys do what you did. And obviously your time as an assistant and the head coach, great memories, great players, like you said. And again, you know, getting the opportunity to speak to your former players and the glowing reviews they have of you, I, I can definitely see why. Um, definitely for wow. sure. So, yeah, and it's, really, it's been awesome. I mean, every every former player of yours I've ever talked to has had nothing but great things to say. And, you know, I know for you as a coach, I, I'm sure that's the thing you're probably – you know, most proud of. I mean, the titles and winning games is great, but the impact that you have on that you have on young people—that's why you get into coaching. So you're you're definitely doing a good job in that regard. So well, I mean, I appreciate it, and I appreciate the platform you provide for 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 guys that that wore that uniform and accomplished some special things there. And uh, they'll they'll they love their school. And that's you know, we I had two practice with my team uh, this week. You know, TJ and Dom Thompson Williams was was with my team this week, and. They care deeply about their school and, you know, to have a platform that like you provide so they can share their experiences. I think it makes it, uh, I think it even, even puts the program in a better light. And, uh, like you said, when you coach, you're awfully blessed to be, uh, to be of influence uh, to young people. And, uh, I hope, I hope I, I had some positive influences on those kids and they certainly had a lot of positive influences on me. And, uh, it's kind of cool to be around them. Even when I'm down here coaching another school, it's kind of cool that, I get to see Will Crow about every day, or TJ and Dom will drop in and get you know get some swings in, and uh, that's the cool thing about baseball, and that's the cool thing about athletics, and uh, that breaks the barriers of what school you're actually coaching and teaching at, and that's kind of cool. Absolutely. Well, Coach, again, thank you so much for the time. Best of luck this season. Uh, we'll be watching from afar, pulling on the Cougars. Do you guys come to Columbia or no? Does South Carolina go down there? Are they on the schedule this year? Uh, they, we're not on the schedule. I know. I know South Carolina goes to Citadel. I didn't think they played CFC though. But uh, we're you know, not on the schedule. We play. We play Clemson. We might play. We okay. play Clemson at Clemson. Um, but uh, there's a chance we might play a, a team in the Midlands here at the Pro Park. Hopefully, we can get up to Columbia and play yeah. a, a team. And uh, as we try to finish out our schedule, I think the I think the schedules will be evolve with right, COVID. Right. Yeah. Things things will change from time to time. So who knows? Maybe we'll play in Columbia at the Pro Park before the season's out. For sure. Well coach, best of luck this season. Again, we'll be watching from afar again. Thank you so much for taking the time. Let's definitely uh do it again soon. Like I said, best of luck this year. Thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. He's Chad Holberg. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in and we'll catch you next time on the episode of the Spurs Up Show. during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.